0: Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. All right, so you see up on the screen, we've got this new series that we're calling Level Up. This is just going to be a three-week series, um, really kind of talking about leveling up in our, in our spiritual lives. And if you know me and my wife, you probably would guess that we don't play a lot of competitive things together. The reason for it is we have differing ideas of what competitiveness looks like, All right, I think that you should hurt people to win at things and she doesn't, I don't know why. Um, But there's one, I don't know how many things she's better at than me, Um, I mean I'm guessing it's not a ton, okay, but I know one thing that she's way better than at me at. I never had game systems when I was growing up. My parents uh, were, he was a pastor uh, I don't think they wanted to spend any more money on game systems and so they didn't and so uh, when, when I would go to friends houses I, I would like sit on their because uh, I didn't get to play that stuff. But then I got married and I think it was the summer we got married I found for $20 I found a Nintendo with a bunch of games at a garage sale. So what do you think I did? I bought it. Because I had to. And what I found out very, very quickly was my wife is a gamer, everybody. I'm telling you. So Super Mario Brothers, I didn't know you could be that good. It was amazing. I watched her and I'm like, you're awesome. And, and things came out of her that I'd always wished would come out. Like she'd be playing and she's yelling at the TV and getting all upset. And, and kids would come up. Once we had kids, they're like, Mommy, Mommy, I need help. Get out of my way. I'm playing the game. You know, and become a bad parent like me. None of that happened. <laughs> she's not like that. Um, but she played and I was impressed. She was really good. And when you, if you don't know Super Mario Brothers, what happens is you, you're playing the game and, and the little guy hits some little thing and like a mushroom pops out and he goes and chases it down and what happens? He levels up. It's the one thing that I wish would always happen in my life. Take something and all of a sudden quickly grow six or 12 inches. Never happened, okay? <laughs> and so then when you get hit with something, you don't die right away. You just shrink back down to Kellen size. And so she, she was really good at leveling up and in that game, there's also what I found out, because I hadn't played enough, I didn't realize this, there's like these secret compartments that you can go into and level up even more. This chick knew where all those spots were. It was unbelievable. Never realized my wife was such a gamer. She tries to like make it out like gaming is bad or something. She was doing it like crazy as a kid. I know it, because she was good at this game. So anyhow, all that to be said, we we want to level up sometimes in our spiritual lives. Is there a way that we can level up in our spiritual lives? Um, and I, I want to say this. I, I don't think there's a quick fix to our spiritual growth. You know, Jesus died for our sins and the Bible talks about how in terms of salvation, we believe and we confess with our mouth that he is Lord and that faith is what gets us saved. Like it's Jesus' work alone coupled with our faith that salvation happens. But is there a way to actually see spiritual growth happen in our lives? Is there something that I can do to, to foster that relationship with Jesus a little bit? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the argument that there, is, there are some ways that we can level up spiritually. And so in this series, what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about three things. Uh, ways that we can kind of level up spiritually. The, the one we're going to talk about today is fully surrendering to God. Next week, I'm going to talk a little bit about confessing our sin and receiving forgiveness. Uh, Two weeks from now, Jake's going to come and preach, and he's going to talk about baptism. Again, none of these things are like, you just do it, and all of a sudden, man, you're spiritually mature. It's on you. Like, it takes time. It takes a process. But I think that there's some stuff that we'll look at today, and we're going to see Yes, there's some things that we can do. Now, now here's the truth of the matter. Most people surrender themselves to all kinds of things that are simply not very important. And so we surrender ourselves to things, and that keeps us from the spiritual growth that I think that God wants for us. And the writer of Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we believe it's King Solomon, King David's son, he actually talks about this kind of thing in Ecclesiastes 2. He talks about going after all kinds of stuff and not getting back what he kind of wanted. His life didn't level up. So here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 2. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, and my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. I love the brutal honesty that that Solomon brings in this passage. You know, if I could paraphrase it, he's, it's like he's saying, I wanted the best in life. I wanted everything that life could possibly give me, and I went after it with everything that I possibly could. I wanted it all. And yet, instead of getting life even better, like things just, if you've ever, what you expected them to be, what you wanted them to be, and you wanted something better. The problem is sometimes we go after the wrong things. We we give ourselves over to the wrong things and it seems like nothing gets better. uh, Solomon, you see in in his life, he was surrendering himself to all these different things. Do you realize that not one time in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 when he's mentioning all these things that he was going after, not one time did he mention God in any of it. Well, no wonder it seems meaningless. Solomon, you missed the one thing that mattered the most. You missed out on leveling up your life because you're going after God, because you're surrendering yourself to God. And so that's really what we're going to get at here today, talking about leveling up our spiritual lives. Instead of looking after all the things in the world that can make us happy, instead of looking after all the things in the world that could give us meaning, there is one thing that's meant to give us meaning. The only place we're meant to find it's in Christ. And if we don't see it there, we're going to struggle. And so I want to turn actually to a, a story here I'll be honest with you, this is not a story in the New Testament that I, that I originally would have thought of going to when it co- talks about surrendering to God. Uh, the story we're going to look at is the first miracle that Jesus is recorded as performing in the book of John. John, I think, goes over seven miracles in his, in his gospel, and this is the very first one that he talks about. Um, and it's a, it's a fascinating story. And actually, I was reading a book called Fresh Eyes on Jesus' Miracles by a guy named Doug Newton. And some of the stuff that he writes about this, this, this miracle I'm going to bring out in today's sermon. And, and honestly, it challenged me. It, it, it encouraged me. And so I'm hoping that it can do the same for you. And so what is this, ver- this first miracle story? This miracle story is the one where Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding. And so I want to read the story real quick before we kind of dig into it a little bit more. This comes from John chapter 2. John writes, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, Doesn't that sound wrong? Like, what, Jesus, what are you doing? You're supposed to not be a sinner. He said to the servant, what are you saying that like that for? He says, my hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he, received, he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. All right, so now if you've ever read this story of this miracle like I have, maybe there's some questions that came to your brain. Some questions come to my brain. The first question that I always have is, why does Mary care so much about this wedding where all of the alcohol is gone? Like, You know, bad thoughts come in my head. Like, does she like her alcohol or what? Like, I don't think that's probably the thing, right? Other questions come in. Like, why would Jesus perform his first public miracle at a wedding? Like, it seems like he's just, is he just extending the party here? Like, this is, I don't, I don't understand this. What's going on? Some of you are more skeptical and you're like, man, this, this story. I'm not going to answer that question because I don't think that's what is going on here. But. We are going to look at that first question. Why in the world would Mary tell Jesus to do this? Why would she be so concerned that the wine is gone from this wedding? Now, we've all been to weddings, and we all know that they're supposed to be great, right? Nine times out of ten, they are great. Hopefully, yours was not one of those one out of ten that wasn't, okay? But they're great. You know that you get there and the bride. She looks prettier than she's ever looked. You're dressed to the nines. You're feeling pretty good about yourself, Right? Weddings are fun. We enjoy them. I'll say there's, there's probably not a time I get more nervous public speaking than at a wedding. Uh, Sunday mornings, you know, I'm trying to just please God. At a wedding, it's like I'm trying to please the bride, please her mama, everybody else. I get nervous because you want weddings to be great. And we want weddings to be so great that something has kind of changed in the last 20 years or so. See, my, my dad being a pastor, he did weddings all the time and Honestly, my dad and my mom were kind of the wedding planners most of the time. People didn't have those a lot of the time. Well, now it's like, man, we gotta have everything so perfect down to the minute that we got wedding planners that are crazy on wedding day. They are insane. It's like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach when I wanna preach, person. Uh, don't tell me what to do. But wedding planners are important because we wanna have these weddings turn out well. Well, they actually had wedding planners back in Jesus day because you. I want you to realize this, weddings were different back then. Now they're like these one day events. Back then they were like two, three day big events for like the whole town to come out to. And you saw it in this passage, there was actually a a term for the wedding planner of the day. They were called the master of the banquet. The, The King James Version actually calls them the governor of the feast. You know it's an important job if you're being called the governor. Like I just want people to call me the gov. I think that would sound pretty cool. So these whole towns come out to these parties and just think about the pressure on this master of the banquet. A lot of pressure. Now there's even more pressure than what I've told you about, because if something went wrong at a wedding, there was going to be public outcry. The whole town is there, something's not right, it's going to be bad. In fact, historians actually tell us that if something happened like this where wine runs out at the wedding, the master of the banquet was likely to be sued by the family. Now you think that we've got crazy stuff going on with our lawsuits in this country? Think about being a wedding planner and getting sued because the wedding doesn't go perfectly. That's what's going on here in this passage. So now maybe Mary's words to Jesus sound a little different to you, right? Five words. They have no more wine. Now, I picture Mary, the way she's saying it to Jesus, her eyes get big, and she's like, Jay, they have no more wine. Right? I'm such a good actor when I do that kind of stuff. Man. But I can just imagine, like, there's this worry, and it's not about the party, it's not about the... You know, everybody in town knows who it is, and what's going to happen to him, or her, whoever it is. What's going to happen? You see, maybe... Maybe you're looking at this story and you're going, man, I just, I don't know why that would be that big of a deal that the wine runs out. Maybe you're, maybe you're like me, you're not a drinker. If, if, if you were the person that was going to get worried about this, you would have hated going to my wedding because we didn't have any alcohol, okay? But maybe you are a person who likes cake. Now let's say you're at a wedding and the cake runs out. I'm telling you, there's going to be a beatdown somewhere, right? Something, something bad's going to happen. So that gives you a little bit, if you're not the alcohol person, you're just a cake person, that gives you an idea of what's going on here. And that's why Mary is concerned. But what's also interesting with this is while there's so much concern welling up in Mary, you look in verse 4 at what Jesus replies, and he doesn't have much concern. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. I'm assuming because it's Jesus that this term woman was a nice term for a mom back then. I don't know. but he doesn't seem to be too too worried about the situation. Jesus knows that he has come to this world for something way bigger than a wedding, way bigger than a miracle of turning water into wine in a wedding. He's come to die on a cross for the sins of the world. Like he's having the same thing go through his brain that, that has gone through our brains reading this story. Like, what is why why would this be the first miracle that Jesus would perform? But sometimes mama just knows best, right? And you can just imagine, Mary, she gives, she gives Jesus that look. If you're a son in the house, you know what that look is from your mama. That look isn't a look that you want to mess with. That look is the look that says, if you don't do this, you ain't getting dinner for a week. It's that look that says, you don't do this, you ain't getting Christmas presents. Now, when Mary tried to pull that one on Jesus, I just imagine he's like, you can't take that away from me. They're named after me. It's literally... Here's what, Here's presents, Mom. Come on. Jesus is holding that over on her, I'm sure. But here's what what happens. All she says to the servants is this. She looks at him. She points to Jesus, and she says, do whatever he tells you. I love a mom with confidence in her boy. My mom is like that, and that is what Mary is in this situation. She's just like, just do whatever he says. I'm telling you, it's going to work out. Now, the interesting thing about this is, we, we got. before I say the next interesting thing, we have to understand something about these water jars that, are being, that Mary is saying you need to, or that, that Jesus ends up telling them they need to fill. These water jars that are in this room at this wedding feast, they are these huge, massive stone jars that are 20 to 30 gallons. I want you to think about a garbage can that's got a 30-gallon bag in it. You've all done that before. This is a, a large amount. Now, think about putting water in a garbage bin that's 30 gallons. If you put water in that, in that garbage bin, are you going to be able to move that water bin? No. You ain't moving that anywhere. It's about 250 pounds. And then you put it on top of that that these are stone jars, you're talking maybe, I don't know, 300 pounds that would, these, these jars would end up being. But Jesus t- says to them, fill the jars with water, And then the amazing thing is this. John says, so they filled them to the brim. All Jesus did was say to the servants, fill the jars that you see right there, 20, 30 gallon jars. And then they filled them to the brim. Why would they fill these things to the brim? Who is Jesus at this point? Jesus has not performed a public miracle at this point. They don't know Jesus as being a miracle provider. What is it about Jesus that they're like, yeah, we're going to fill those things? No. If you and I were about to do this, what would that look like? Okay, so I've got a 30-gallon 30, a 30 bin that i got to fill with water. What's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm going to put that bin at the very place that I want it to rest at. Because I know once I fill it, I'm not going to move it. So I'm going to go to find a spigot. I'm going to grab a hose, a long hose. I'm going to put that thing on there. I'm going to take the hose over. I'm going to fill it up with 30 gallons of water. I'm done. Easy, right? What about at this wedding that Jesus was at? There is no sink. There is no water spigot. There's no hose. There is a water well. And there's not even a water well at the building. There is a town water well. And so that water well might be blocked. Are they gonna take are they gonna take the 30-gallon the jar over there to the water well and then bring it back? No, there's no way they're gonna get it back. So they probably take about two gallon buckets and servant after servant have to take about 90 trips back and forth to this well to fill up the the jars. Six jars, 30 gallons, 180 gallons, two gallons each time. It's 90 trips. I don't care how many servants you got. I don't want to do it. Like I'm not doing it. I look at Jesus who I don't know anything about, at least in miracle terms, and I'm like, Jesus you're funny. Stop it. I'm not filling them up. And if I did fill them up, mm, It wouldn't be like these guys. I want you to listen again what it says, what John says about what they did. He says, they filled them to the brim. I don't know if I'm filling them to the brim. I'm gonna gonna get there and I'm gonna take the first one and I might I might fill it like 26 gallons full. I'm gonna be like, hey guys, that looks good. I'm gonna get the next one, I'm gonna be like. That 23 gallons, that's like full, guys. Good job. The last one, I was like, that's like 10 gallons. That's, that's looking good. Jesus is full. Do what you're going to do. I'm not going to fill these things all the way to the brim. But these guys listened to Jesus, and they filled them to the brim. Why in the world would they do that? Did they really think that Jesus was going to turn this water into wine? i got to be honest. I'm not even sure they had that in their brain. Why would they think that? There's no reason to think that that's going to happen. I want you to understand what would would have to happen for this water to become wine. And there's a guy, this guy named Doug Newton, he writes about what actually has to happen for this process to take place. He says, to turn water into wine, Jesus would have to take the water, which consists of only two elements. Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. Good job, chemistry people. Uh, And that's called H2O. Okay. Not only does he have to remix those two elements, but he would also have to add in the element carbon. We know that because the natural sugars in wine grapes include carbon. Then he would have to introduce many more compounds that never existed in the water. Wine includes tannins and organic acids, tartaric, malic, and citric. In short, he couldn't just sneak some red food coloring into the water when no one was looking. He'd somehow have to accelerate the aging process and turn years into just mere minutes as far as this wine is concerned. So again, I ask you, why would these servants take these water buckets and fill these jars all the way full to the top, 180 gallons worth? I'd fill it like 12 gallons worth altogether. Why would they do it? Can I be honest with you? This, in a nutshell, is my spiritual life. These water pots are a symbol of my spiritual life. I have the ability to give everything over to God, to bring everything over to God, and to fill it all the way to the top for Him to take care of it all and to transform it all. And yet what I'm going to do is I'm going to probably bring 10 gallons of it, 12 gallons of it, 23 gallons of it. Very rarely am I going to fill it to the brim and give everything over to God for Him to transform Those water pots represent my heart. Jesus wants to change my heart. He wants to make a radical transformation of everything that exists in me. You see, Jesus didn't have to wave his hands. He didn't have to say abracadabra. He didn't have to do anything like that. There was no sleight of hand. All he needed to do was speak into existence, and that stuff was transformed. Only the God who created the universe out of nothing could make a transformation like that. Doug Newton says this about it. He says, if Jesus could do this this, to these water-filled pots, imagine what he can do with worry-filled people. Imagine how he can create unexpectedly high-quality wisdom or faith or peace where none exists. You see, I give my worry and I put it in that water pot. I give my lack of faith and I put it into that water pot. My lack of peace, I put it in that water pot. And I let God transform it. I don't just say, I got to bring that lack of peace and say, okay, I need you now to transform it. I need you to make something different out of it. The question is, what are you submitting to Jesus right now in your life? What are you submitting to him so that he can actually bring transformation? I think Jesus' transforming power is the most important part of this passage. But I also believe, and I want to go back to the submission of these servants at the wedding. Because I think it's vital for us. Again, what did did John say happened? He said, they filled the water pots to the brim. And what's the difference between filling those water pots to the brim and filling those water pots just halfway? Remember, Jesus can do anything. One of the things I've never understood about this story, really, until this week, was why didn't Jesus just say, Water pots be full of wine? <laughs> and they just were full of wine. Like, why did he have to go and tell the servants, Hey, go and bring water, and then I'm going to do something with that water? He could have just spoken the words, and wine would have existed. But see, Jesus shows in this first recorded miracle that his greatest desire is for you to let him transform your life into something that he wants it to be. Jesus doesn't just aim to bring good in your life out of the nothing that you give to him. Again, salvation is something that is Jesus' work alone. We have faith in him and it's his work on the cross that brings us salvation. But when it comes to leveling up our spiritual lives, I need to bring something to the table. He wants me to bring something that I need transformed and then he wants to transform it. It's very rare that we just bring nothing and all of a sudden God puts it into us. Jesus aims to bring good in your life by transforming you into whatever, in whatever area you're willing to bring to him. But if I'm not willing to bring something to him, how is God going to transform me? So again, I ask the difference. What's the difference between These water pots being going to transform whatever water came into those water pots. He was going to transform it into wine. See, I think Jesus is willing and wanting to transform whatever we bring to him. The little or the much. He wants to transform us into the people that he wants us to be. He wants to level us up spiritually. But too often times, instead of bringing everything and filling it to the brim, we bring it halfway and we don't allow him to do the work in us to the fullest. Have you ever wondered why we don't see Christians who have leveled up in their spiritual walk? Have you ever wondered why we just struggle to find spiritual maturity growing in us? Why we, we long for a more close relationship with Jesus? Why we don't have the peace and the, and the comfort and, and the, the confidence in Christ that we've longed for? Have you ever wondered why it doesn't seem like you've seen the transformation in your life that you thought you should see by now from the time that you gave your life over to Jesus? And I think the answer is not as difficult as sometimes we make it out to be. The amount of wine that we enjoy depends on the amount of water we bring to Jesus that needs to be changed, particularly when we bring that water in water pots of prayer. Now that is not my, that is not my wording. The water pots of prayer I got from, from this guy, Doug Newton. I think it's awesome. These water pots are our water pots of prayer. What am I bringing to Jesus? What am I laying before him? What am I putting into this water pot to let him transform in me? Am I bringing it all to him? And I'm not talking about, okay, you need to pray longer. I don't think that this is what this is about. You need to pray all of your heart into what Jesus wants. We all know that there's things in our lives that are not what they should be. How are we giving those things over to God and saying, God, transform me? There's a lot of times where I don't want the transformation, so I keep it from God. But whatever needs to be transformed, bring it all to him. Lay it out before him. I don't even think that we have to be in a place where we actually believe that jesus is going to do any transformation i am not convinced that the servants that were at that wedding believed that jesus was going to do anything my question for you this morning is are you actually giving jesus a chance are you bringing things and placing them in your water pots of prayer are there parts of your life that you know need to get transformed and maybe you've been holding on to those things for too long you don't want to change I know there's things in me that sometimes, like, it's, it's hard to think about changing. But I think the moment that we submit to Christ, that we submit to Jesus and what he's saying, and we bring those things to God, and we place them in those water pots, he will bring transformation. So my question this morning is, what do you need to bring to Jesus where he can use his transforming power in you? you. Okay. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.